Okay. Now, let's have some time in God's Word together, shall we? Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And let's travel together to our next town. Today we go to Berea. So, so this passage of scripture that I'm going to read, starting in verse 10 of Acts chapter 17 and only going to verse 15, it reads very simply, none of the words that are preached by Paul and or Silas are recorded. It reads very similarly to other journeys into towns that Paul and Silas, or before them Paul and Barnabas, have already had. But there's one significant, unique point in this passage that is very famous and very well known. And that point is so beloved among Christians that there are even churches that take the name of their church from this passage. There are churches called Berean Bible Church, Berean Baptist Church, First Berean Church, right? I mean, there are modern churches who have named themselves after this church all over the world because of this one particular point that comes out in this passage of Scripture that's so beautiful and so important. It leaves us as a church as we carefully go verse by verse through the Bible, with the responsibility when we come to this to pause and to remind ourselves why we do what we do when we gather together. It will, that, that process, as I'm speaking to you today, will involve reading and looking up a bunch of verses that are extremely familiar ground for you, or should be, or maybe after today they will be. But they ought to be. I call today's sermon, Ten Reasons Why You Should Know Your Bible. Seems basic, right? And yet in its basicness, there is something so profound that as I said, you will drive around town, you can Google it and find churches that are named Berean whatever church. Ten important reasons for knowing your Bible. Listen to this. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Wow. And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, They came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. We'll tie some of those logistical details at the end of that passage together next week when we read about what was happening at Athens. But but listen, listen to this. I mean, you saw... I, I want to first of all point out that the Thessalonian church was a very beloved church. We read some of the things about the Thessalonian church that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians last week, right? And he spoke of them being of great encouragement because their faith had gone out all over the world. So the group that Paul ministered to at Thessalonica 
was a pretty well-receiving group. God had really moved among them. And they had suffered persecution after Paul had only been there for three Sabbaths. And so they, and that's where verse 10 picks it up. The brethren immediately sent them away, right? You know the story. They attacked Jason's house. They didn't find Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy there. So they took security from Jason, which was a big boatload of money, probably. And, uh, and what that meant was if they saw them continuing to associate with Paul and company, they'd lose all that money. And so, you know, Paul, not wanting to burden the church like that, consented to being sent away immediately. And he comes into Berea. But the group at Thessalonica was a pretty good group. I mean, they were divided. They were divided when Paul preached in their synagogue. But a church was born out of it. As you saw, many Gentiles believed. Gentiles who were in the synagogue because they were believers in the God of Israel. Many of the prominent women believed. So, I mean, Thessalonica was a good ministry. And yet, when you come to Berea, you see in the text here that the people of the synagogue in Berea are compared to the way that Paul and company were received in Thessalonica. And we're told that they were more fair-minded, or as some translations say, they were more noble. There was just a more calm, open, erudite, humble, intelligent, scholarly spirit about them. There wasn't a rash, emotional reaction. There wasn't a big offense because these guys were preaching something different. There was something about them that was different. And we're told what it was, aren't we? And it's a great example for all of us. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they did just what they did just about everywhere else so far. They went into the synagogue of the Jews. And when you go into the synagogue of the Jews in one of these towns, as we've seen pretty much every place so far, there are obviously Jewish men and women, but there are many Gentiles in the synagogue as well because in some of these towns there are a good number of Gentiles who have an interest in or maybe have come all the way to faith in the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God revealed in the Old Testament, the God of the Old Covenant, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, though they didn't know that yet. Right? So you've got this nice audience there. So all of that so far is what we're accustomed to, right? That we've seen before. But then you get to verse 11. And this is where it becomes profound. This is what makes this passage and this account so famous. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In what? In that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I don't know why, but the second of those two things that it mentions there is, is the most famous. When people talk about the Bereans, they'll say they searched the scriptures. But back up, before you get to that, I love this phrase that, isn't this great? Where it says, they received the word with what? All readiness. Yeah. There's a great example for modern Christians there. They searched the scriptures daily, but I want you to know something about that searching the scriptures daily. It's not like they could take their smartphones and go to BibleGateway.com or, or BibleHub.com or open their Bible app and just like search for stuff. I mean, I, like probably most modern Christians, I avail myself of every modern tool to help myself navigate around my Bible that I possibly can. I still even use my Bible program, which is what they used to be called on computers a long time ago, on my Windows 95 computer in my office. Everyone always laughs. Someone always thinks that's funny. That's why I always point it out, because always somebody thinks that's funny. How has a Windows 95 computer lasted until 2021? It doesn't connect to the Internet, so it doesn't get any garbage on it, you know? So there you go. But I'm able to just search for things and find things, right? And so... 
uh, but these guys didn't have that. They were ready. They were ready because they knew God's word. If you don't know God's word, you're not walking around through the minefield of ideas, through the mind, mind, not M-I-N-D, M-I-N-E, minefield of worldviews, through the minefield of theology, the minefield of religion. You're not ready to walk around that if you don't know this. And so we look back and we admire this church so much because when Paul came in, like everywhere else he went and went into that synagogue audience, they were ready. Look, it doesn't say, it doesn't say in the passage of scripture that they knew Paul was coming that day and so they got ready for him, right? He left Thessalonica in a rush, right? He was in a hurry. He got out of there fast. And then he comes into Berea and suddenly he finds himself in the synagogue. They receive the word with all readiness is a description of the fact that they held the Bible, as we would call it, for them, the scrolls of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all of it. They held it in such high regard that they were a, not, I was going to say church, they were like a church. They were a synagogue where they were teaching people scripture. And as a result, they are described as, in the New King James Version, more fair-minded. See, because in Thessalonica, though Thessalonica did enjoy a good number of people coming to the Lord, they also had a high degree of opposition from the Jews, especially the Jewish men in the synagogue, right? And they're the ones who stirred up all the trouble in Thessalonica after three Sabbaths that got Paul and company chased out. That didn't happen quite like that in Berea. In fact, if you followed carefully what I read, the only reason Paul and company had to split from Berea was what? Because the same Jews from Thessalonica, when they heard that Paul was preaching at the Berean synagogue and people were receiving the word, they, listen, you talk about persecution. This is like, you know, this is like a mobile persecution ministry that they had. Like they followed Paul to Berea and stirred up the same trouble there. The Bereans received it. They received it because they knew the word. They were ready to be taught about Jesus because they knew the word of God. They were more fair-minded. They were more noble. There was something about their spirit and their character that was just higher than the people at Thessalonica because they knew the word of God. And that's what the word of God will do in anyone who will read it and study it and believe it and know it. It changes us. They were changed because they knew the word of God. I mean, I mean, if I stopped now, which I'm not going to, if I stopped right now and you left, that's enough for you right there to like realize, you know, I don't know where you're at with your own personal Bible study. Do you read scripture for yourself? Do you participate in church Bible studies and groups where the word of God is taught? Are you in a church, maybe speaking to some of the people who are watching online, are you attached to a church where that is the thing that is held up as the number one thing in the ministry? I don't know, at some point, if you're sitting here today, or you're a regular and you're watching us at line, online, at some point you stopped and you thought to yourself, fellowship. Bible church. And you thought to yourself, I think I have a pretty good idea of what this church is going to be about. 
We're going to try to have fellowship, which is why we call you to gather together. We encourage you to gather together. That's why we call you real fellowship. What it means is to share. It means to share in the work of the ministry first, and then to share in our just our own spiritual walk with the Lord and just share our lives with one another. Share our gifts with one another. But then the second word of that title is what? Bible. So at some point you realize you're in a church that if it's going to be true to its name, anything that's going on here is going to have as its centerpiece, as its most important thing, the careful study and affirming presentation of the Word of God, of Scripture. And may I say to you, it's a bit old-fashioned to have a name like that, Fellowship Bible Church, right? Like a lot of American churches. And I have nothing against this. I'm just a really, I'm just an old, crusty old man. What can I say, man? You know? But like, you, you can drive down the street and there's a church called Epic and you can drive somewhere else and there's a church called Oasis and you can drive somewhere else and there's a church called Liquid, right? And I have nothing, against, nothing I'm not saying anything bad about any of that. That, that, that's like, I'm, I'm just not cool like that. You know what I mean? Look, hey, we just started a ministry that we called Upward, right? So I'm taking little baby steps in, 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 in like trying to, trying to find some coolness in, in my middle age. I don't know how well that's going to go in the long term. But nevertheless, you know, we're, so we're a little old fashioned with Fellowship Bible Church. But our, but, our, but our name does like tell you something. Look, and regardless of what the name is, every church, every church has the charge to make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. That's the charge of the Great Commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is the evangelistic process. That's a, listen, everyone. That's a description of the evangelistic process where you preach the gospel to people and the ones who believe, you baptize them in the name of Jesus, right? And teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you, Jesus said. That's the act of opening the Word of God and doing what Jesus did. Teaching the Scriptures to disciples. That's how disciples are made. By preaching salvation and then by teaching the believers the Word of God. Teaching them to observe. That is to believe and obey the things that are taught in the Word of God. So the central act, the prominent act of every church should be what we're doing right now. Which is opening up the Bible and doing that. You know, that's what makes a disciple is, you know, praise the Lord. So this is what they did at Berea. They knew the word of God and it wasn't a church yet. It's a synagogue. It's a synagogue of a mixed audience, but they knew the scriptures so they could search them. Right. It's not that they just started from scratch and said, huh, I think we better open up the scrolls and see if these things are right. They wouldn't have been able to do that. I think the idea is they were well-versed in the Word of God. That's why they were more fair-minded. And therefore, they were able. They were, to use the word here, ready. They were ready to open up the Scriptures. Listen, when Paul and Bar- listen, when Paul and Luke wrote this, Luke was one of the people who traveled with Paul to go into this synagogue. And Luke's the one who, obviously the Lord is the inspirer of the Word of God, but Luke's the one who wrote down more fair-minded, more noble, because they received it with all readiness. Right? So, so it's like they walk in, and because they were well-versed in Scripture, they were ready. They were ready. And of course, when someone preaches the gospel... When someone preaches the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sins and buried and then rose from the dead. When you preach that to someone who loves scripture and they begin to search scripture, guess what's going to happen? Many of them are going to believe. And that's exactly what happened. Do you see what it says here? Literally, verse 12. Therefore, notice the word therefore. Right? It doesn't just say, it doesn't just say they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Many of them believed. Or it doesn't say, and many of them believed. It says, therefore, many of them believed. Which means there's a cause and effect going on. Because they were ready, 
because they knew scripture because they were because they were able to search scripture and see for themselves in the scripture that the things that Paul was saying about Jesus and salvation were true therefore many of them believed reading studying Loving, believing, and knowing your Bible makes you ready to receive from God instruction and truth. Yeah, amen. Look at this. What's the difference between this and Thessalonica? And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. What's the difference? The men, right? Because if you remember in Thessalonica, a lot of the Greeks received the word. A lot of the prominent women received the word. But it left out the men, right? Right? At Thessalonica, or at Berea, we're told that many of the men also. So, it was those men, those Jewish men who rejected the message of Christ in Thessalonica, who stirred up the mob that chased Paul and company out and even followed them to Berea. But because they were ready with the word of God in Berea, the Greeks, the women, and the men believed. Amen? So the obvious conclusion to all of this is what? It was the preparation of having carefully studied and learned and believed and known the word of God that set these Bereans apart. And that's why churches take that name Berean in their name to this day, because they want to be like that. They want their people, you know. I didn't name Fellowship Bible Church. I wasn't here yet. I love the name Fellowship Bible Church. But if I had come at a time when we were looking for a new name, maybe I would have like called it Berean Bible Church. But I love Fellowship Bible Church too, so that's not going anywhere. So don't get any, don't get any ideas, because Fellowship's beautiful too. But, you, but you, see, you see what the acknowledgement here is, right? I mean, it's a great thing. So then what happens? Like I told you. Then the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, and they came there. So they weren't chased out of Berea by Bereans. They were chased out of Berea by Thessalonians. Thessalonian non-believing Jews came to Berea and chased him away. So immediately they sent Paul away to go to the sea, and we'll read next week how they end up in Athens. What I want to do, and I'll go through this fast with the rest of my time, but I mean, you get the main point. I mean, what's the one thing there that distinguishes the Bereans? Their readiness, their fair-mindedness, because of the Bible. The rest of my time here, I want to give you ten reasons why. You must be well-versed in Scripture. And this church, we do everything we can to make people well-versed in Scripture. All that there is for you is to decide, I'm going to participate. It's not a sprint. It's a long-term race. I myself have been preaching here for almost 19 years. And I think, all by God's grace, I can say, haven't changed my doctrine haven't changed my approach to God's word one iota in those years. I stand up in front of you today and do the same thing that I did the first time I got up here 19 years ago. Open up your Bibles to such and such. Let's pray. And that's how it's always going to be as long as I'm here. And if I ever stop doing that, throw me out and find someone who will. And many men before me in this church that's been around for over 70 years. The church was rooted in that. This is what churches need to do. This is how disciples are made. This is how Christians go strong. This is how people are able to stand against the flood of nonsense that exists in the world today. Women are called men. Men are called women. Right? Women marry women. Men marry men. Not just picking on that issue. Violence. People are entertained by violence. The more sensationalized, the more salacious, the more seductive and the more violent the entertainment, the more popular it is. 
unsavory characters are exalted, decent people are put down. Greedy for money, greedy for fame, narcissists, manipulative, slanderers, liars, disobedient to parents, proud, haughty, think we know everything when we know nothing. How are you able to stand in that? Be like the Bereans and be ready because you know the Word of God. Ten reasons why you need to know your Bible. These go fast. Ready? Reason number one. Scripture reveals God. Let me tell you something. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know that, right? And the firmament shows His handiwork, Psalm 19 says. So, and you go on there, you see, creation reveals God. But it just reveals God in a general way. It reveals that God is there, right? And so, theologians, any seminary student will learn, theologians refer to this as general revelation. That you can just look at creation and a humble, fair-minded person will recognize someone made all of this. Someone set the diversity and the order of it in motion. That is a revelation of God. But Scripture reveals the person, the name, the characteristics of God. S scripture reveals specifics about God. And so theologians call the Bible special revelation. You know that now, right? So there's general revelation. You look at all of creation. You look in the sky at night and you know there's God. But who is He? What's He like? What's His name? What does He expect? What has He done in the past? What is He going to do in the future? The Bible answers that question. If you don't read Scripture... If you don't value learning Scripture, you might as well just say, I have no interest in knowing who God really is. Because that's where He's revealed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first words of the Bible. So the first thing you're told in Scripture is that God is our Creator. I made a little list here. As you continue to read through Scripture, you read that God is omnipotent. That is, He has power over everything. You read that God is omnipresent, like in Psalm 139, wherever I go, if I make my bed in hell, if I sink in the ocean, whatever, all that stuff says, you're there. There's nowhere I can flee from your presence. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. That means He knows everything. His wisdom is staggering and unmeasurable. Scripture teaches that. He's holy. He is set apart completely from sin, without flaw, without blemish. He is good, which means both a wonderful thing and a more fearsome wonderful thing. He is good. He is kind. He is good. He hates evil. He's merciful. Scripture teaches us His name. Theologians call it the Tetragrammaton. Y-H-W-H. You hear me say it all the time. Yahweh. Whenever you see L-O-R-D in capital letters in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh. Scripture. I mean, you look at creation. Who made all this? Scripture tells us Yahweh. He's triune. How do you get that? If you, don't, you miss that if you don't read the Bible. You miss that he said, let us make man in our image. Or he said to Isaiah, when he called Isaiah, who will go for us? Right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three are one. You learn about his works. You learn about his plans. You learn about his attributes. Number one, you need to read and know Scripture because Scripture reveals God. Number two, Scripture reveals Christ and the salvation that is available through Christ. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15 say, You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Listen, 
knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You need to know scripture because scripture is what makes someone wise to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive salvation. And by the way, it's also scripture that teaches us our need, right? If you've been in the Galatians study, you know that it says the law, that is the law of Moses, the Old Testament, was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, if you don't read your Bible... You come away like most people do, thinking to themselves, I better get busy to make myself right before God. If you don't read your Bible, you're vulnerable to accept that if I just do this sacrament, that sacrament, that sacrament, it doesn't matter how I live, I'm in, I'm in the right church, I'm in the one that Jesus started, whatever all the stuff is. And you might think to yourself, you're okay before God because you don't know Scripture. Amen? Scripture reveals that salvation is only by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Bible reveals that. You won't find that anywhere else. Number three, Scripture reveals what I would describe as clarity and guidance. I love this little thing. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus, it says that he saw a great multitude... Jesus saw a great multitude, Mark 6, 34. And it says he was moved with compassion for them. Listen to this. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And we know that when you read the teachings of Jesus, they are deeply rooted in Scripture. In fact, after he rose from the dead, when Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with those two guys and they didn't recognize who he was, what did they end up saying? Didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us and began to speak to us? Right? Scripture brings clarity and understanding where people are wandering like sheep without a shepherd. Just wandering around. It's scripture that brings the wanderer home. People are just going through life confused, in turmoil, disturbed, conscience violated by so much stuff they see. They buy into what so much of popular media and popular culture tries to make normal and acceptable when it's actually a twisting of God's original creative purpose in so many ways. They're vulnerable because the clarity that Scripture brings to sheep without a shepherd is not something they have received. It's not something they're interested in. You must read your Bible and know your Bible to know the thoughts and the mind and the directions of God. Number four. Here's a big one. Scripture, ready for this? Reveals the future. You don't need to walk around wondering where's all this going. Oh, what's going to happen? What's it going to be next? Listen, I don't know. I don't know what crazy thing is going to become normal in culture next. You know, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, I don't know what specific thing is going to happen next, but I do know where it's all going. And the reason I know is this: the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. That's the opening of the book of Revelation. It's all right here. Yes, it's difficult to understand. This church a few years ago taught verse by verse through every word of the book of Revelation. And Lord willing, we'll do it again sometime. But all of the Bible studies are saved on the pastor's Windows 95 computer, right? So you can print them out. But you can read it for yourself. You study it, you know. You know. The Bible reveals what God's going to do. And lots of things in the Old Testament have not come to pass yet. 
All the prophecies that God made concerning Messiah, some of it was fulfilled when Jesus came the first time and gave his life and rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. But there's still much prophecy concerning the coming of Messiah and the establishing of his kingdom that's not fulfilled yet. You don't know or are aware of any of that unless you read and study and know your Bible. Number five. Numbers 5, 6, and 7 all come out of the same passage of Scripture. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them to you at once. Ready? The passage of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. In fact, you know, open your Bibles. Turn them there. I mean, we're talking about reading our Bibles. Come on, open them up. Turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Everybody good? Ephesians 4.11 says this. I will name Numbers 5, 6, and 7. The reasons why you need to read and know your Bible as we pass them in this passage. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Some people refer to that as the five-fold ministry, right? Because you got all five... Now, look, without taking the time to describe the distinctives of each one of those people, what do they all have in common? What, what do they all do that's common? They are all people who handle the Word of God. Right? That's what the apostles did. They preached the Word of God and they even wrote what we have today as the Word of God in the New Testament. There were prophets who spoke the Word of God, evangelists who spread the Word of God among those who don't know it, pastors and teachers who share the Word of God with the church. But that's what all five of those offices do. They share the Word of God. Now look, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry... For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Stop there. There's number five. You need to know your Bible because it is the Bible that God uses when taught in the church that brings Christians to unity. That's what we're united around. We're not united around our view of this or our view of that. We are united around the fact that the Bible is carefully taught. And that is what we, that's why the synagogue at Berea was noble and fair minded. Because they knew and they loved the Word of God. They didn't let little differences among them, which all humans have, they didn't let little differences among them rise up in their hearts and become crises to the point that there was division in their body. And the reason they were able to do that was because they knew the Word of God. Hello? So number five, you need to know your Bible because it ultimately edifies and builds up and brings us to unity. Go on. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mean, that's how much you should learn your Bible if you really want to know it. That's how much you should grow in your faith. The stature of the fullness of Christ who here thinks they've achieved that yet? Who here thinks that their life reflects the stature of the fullness of Christ? Then you're not done. You still need to be in the Word. That we, now look at this, verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Number six, knowing the Bible protects you from error. I have sadly in my aforementioned 19 years here, had a number of beloved people move on. There are reasons why. Some of them are good, appropriate reasons. Sometimes they move on because they have been tricked into believing wrong doctrine, and sometimes just abysmally dangerous doctrine. 
loving and knowing scripture, not thinking that you've ascended past that, is what raises you up to the point where you can stand in the face of falsehood. So that every, the latest wind that blows through doesn't destroy believers and destroy the ministry. Way back before any of you were here, it happened in the whole church. One of the darker periods of the history of this church, long before I was the pastor. But like, you know, it just happened that like, what was going on up here just radically, drastically changed into something else. And what was a thriving ministry that's been bigger, the bigger than it ever was in the time I was here, just dwindled down to about 60 people until half of them left with the guy that was here. Right? Why is that? Because the wind blew. Because the wind blew. And it blew in some new stuff that had nothing to do with this. That's what Scripture does. It protects you from error and the division and the destruction and what the Bible calls the shipwrecking of the faith of people. It protects from that. And then number seven. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. Look, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Another reason that you need to read Scripture is because it causes the church to grow. Not numerically, that's not what he's talking about here. It causes the church to grow spiritually, so that the church can... Do you see what it said? So that the church can edify itself. When people learn Scripture, that's where all this started. Apostles, pastors, teachers, all that stuff. People who handle the Word of God. When you learn the Word of God, the church grows strong and is able to build itself up because you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with people who love the Word of God. I've been a pastor for 19 years and I still have to beg people and convince people to come to church to worship. Why is that? I mean, I mean, churches that love the Word of God should be the tightest, most, not necessarily big, but the tightest most solid, most loving, most secure organizations in the world. Unmoved and untouched, even by persecution to death. Told you the story a week or two ago about the church in Afghanistan, right? Where even the young people in the church were like, we're going to get together, we're going to worship, we don't even care if you kill us. Strengthen that. That's how it's supposed to be among Christians. I might be stepping on some toes with some of the things that I'm saying here. And I don't want to hurt or insult anybody. I really don't. But you need to hear this stuff. There's a reason why the Berean synagogue was more noble. And this is it. They loved the scripture. So it talks about the growth of the body. Number eight. Number eight. You need to read and know scripture because it provides strength in the face of temptation. Right? Listen, everyone. Stay with me, please. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know the story, right? When he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry afterwards. The tempter, the tempter, the tempter came to him. Does the tempter ever come to you? Is the tempter dead? Is the tempter inactive? Does the tempter slumber or sleep? Does the tempter leave us alone? The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, I am God, get out of here. No, it's not what he said, is it? He said, it is written, Jesus remembered Scripture. Jesus remembered the same Bible that you and I have. 
Jesus remembered scripture and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he stood. And two more times, you can read it in Matthew chapter 4. Two more times, Satan tempted him. And each time, Jesus responded by saying, It is written. It is written. It is written. If Jesus, the Son of God, has his knowledge of Scripture as a weapon to stand in the face of temptation, do you think you need that too? You do. And so do I. Reason number nine. Reason number nine is because we talked about how Scripture produces a growth in the body, but Scripture also produces individual growth. I know this, man. I Listen, my life so completely changed from the first moment I began to read the Bible for myself and then get myself involved in this church, a Bible-believing church. Just everything about me began to grow and change. And it was wonderful. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is the learning and the believing and the applying of the Scriptures, which are God-breathed. Every word in your Bible is from God Himself. When you set aside careful Bible study and careful Scripture for whatever else, you know, you are saying, no thanks, God, because it is God's Word. That's what he's trying to say. Every word of Scripture is God's. Old Testament, New Testament. Every psalm, every proverb, every prophecy, every word of the Gospels, even the words in his own letters. Everything. And it's profitable for a person to individually grow and be equipped for every good work. And number 10. Number 10, the last one. Scripture, this maybe is my favorite. Scripture will guide you through life as you walk with God. And I want to close by reading for you Psalm 31. And this is what I mean by Scripture will guide you. I confess to you I have hard moments. I have difficult moments. I have hard weeks. I have seasons in my life where I battle with discouragement and I battle with wondering Lord are you even with me you you fight with that because the devil is so powerful and is always attacking scripture guides me through life I read these words and I am secured and blessed you in you O Lord I put my trust Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me. Guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. That's what what Jesus said when he died. Right? You have redeemed me, O Yahweh, God of truth. I'll let you read the rest of it for yourself for time's sake. But Psalm 31 is a powerful one. And there's 149 others of Psalms. And it's not just the Psalms. But number 10... Scripture will guide you in your walk with God. God will speak to you. Can I say that? I think I can. Not God spoke to me and told me you need to make some offering. Yeah, all the nonsense here. God will meet you with his own voice when you read his word. Ten reasons why you need to read your Bibles and be like the Bereans. Number one, Scripture reveals God. Number two, Scripture reveals Christ and His salvation. Number three, Scripture reveals clarity. Number four, Scripture reveals the future. Number five, Scripture will bring the body to unity. Number six, Scripture will protect you from error. 
Number seven, Scripture will provide growth and maturity of the body. Number eight, Scripture will strengthen you to resist temptation. Number nine, Scripture will cause individual growth. And number ten, Scripture will be your moment-by-moment guide through your life of walking with God. That's why churches call themselves Berean. Because they know that that's what the Bible will yield. I, am, I have not done this in a while, but just for time's sake, I think we're going to wave the final hymn because I talked a little long today. I'm sorry for that. And we have something that we're going to do. So let's just close in prayer. Would you all stand up with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Here, we read your word, and we read how your word draws us to more of your word. Within itself, your special revelation calls us to be students of it. Fair-minded like the Bereans. That all of these purposes, and more, things I didn't even mention, might be fulfilled in our lives. Thank you that we have your word. Is there anything else in this world that's as precious as your word? Nothing. Your word reveals you. Your word reveals us. And your word reveals you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your spirit in each one of your children. Which teaches us. Who teaches us? Thank you for your wonderful salvation. That when someone recognizes their own sinfulness and where they stand in the face of your holiness and they realize they can't justify themselves before you, but they're lost sinners. There is hope. Thank you that you, Lord Jesus, took the penalty for our sin when you died on the cross and vanquished all the power of death when you rose from the dead. And I pray that anybody listening to this now, if they need to be saved from their sins, the call is simply to believe. I pray that you would grant it to someone whose ears and heart are ready by you to believe the gospel and be saved. Thank you for this time together, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.